This is the Scream Kings podcast. We all float down here. And you'll float too. My name is Max George. And I'm Nathaniel Darkish. And this is our inaugural episode. Uh, and being the inaugural episode, it's probably fitting that we introduce ourselves. So a little bit about myself. Again, I'm Nathaniel Darkish. I am a horror writer. I am currently unpublished, but I have finished one horror novel and I'm working on my second. I am currently seeking representation, so fingers crossed there. And professionally, I'm going to soon be uh, beginning a teaching job. So my involvement in the horror literature community really kind of goes between both of my my jobs so that's that's just a little bit about me basically what he's trying to say is he's going to be terrifying the children of the future being a horror english teacher yeah and and i mean i want to scare the the adults of the future too i mean that works too okay so a little bit about yourself yeah absolutely um like i said earlier my name's max um i'm actually completely opposite really which is probably why we get along so much uh i work in the research field um, primarily in pharmaceuticals which is a little out there as far as horror fans go but hey you know everyone needs a creepy scary drug to take every now and then yeah i mean i've seen plenty of zombie movies involving pharmaceutical companies it's true so you're terrifying the students of the future and i'm turning them into zombies there we go sounds like a a match made in heaven a match made in heaven (laughs) okay so as we as we're launching in i figured you know it would be good also to talk a little bit about kind of how we got into the horror genre um, and so some of our favorite things about it so what about you max what how did you get into horror um you know that's kind of an interesting story growing up i always was terrified of horror movies uh, i was never really a big fan uh, to this day i still hate those horror haunted houses that you can go to and they try and spook you and scare you yeah as, as a side note uh all of our friends constantly try to drag him to those uh, every October, and he refuses flatly. Literally almost kicked a girl dressed up as the grudge at one of those occasions. But um, specifically with horror, um, a few years ago, I really just started to fall in love with the horror genre. I think it's a wonderful opportunity to kind of escape kind of the horrors that we live in today and kind of see someone who might have it a little bit more rough. There's a weird kind of cathartic release in those types of moments. Uh, But primarily, I think I got kind of my horror start is I've always really enjoyed religion, mythologies, different cultures, um, a lot of the occult aspects of horror. And so you really can't get that anywhere else. You're not going to find it in a rom-com. You got to go to horror movies. And so that's really kind of what pulled me in. How about yourself, Nathaniel? Well... As I've mentioned, I write horror, but surprisingly, in spite of you know ha- having a, a very, very vivid interest in the genre, wanting to build my career around it, I, much like you, had, had a lot of difficulty uh, with it when I was a child. So I'm very religious. Uh, I am Mormon, and I grew up in a very religious household. So my parents especially my mother has always just never been very comfortable with with horror you know whenever she would see a a scary movie she would react very strongly to it and you know just felt like it, it you know invited like a negative energy into our home and so she largely discouraged us having any 
horror anything in our in our home. I mean, I I remember that like The Sixth Sense, for example, just scared the crap out of her. Well, it scared me too, and that ghost throws up in the bedroom. Yeah, I mean that's fair. Terrifying. But I mean, you know that that was just beyond anything that she could even conceive of. And, you know, that's a PG-13 horror film. A a very good one, I'd say, but still relatively uh, on the milder end of the spectrum. You could say that. Um, And so, you know, growing up, you know, I didn't really watch any scary movies. And then, you know, my few brushes with the horror genre were things like in, I believe it was like third, maybe fourth grade. I was spending time with a friend. Uh, We were playing some PlayStation games and he pulled out Resident Evil, the first one. Which, you know, mind you, it has terrible blocky graphics and all of that. But but the scene very, very early in the game where there's a zombie, you know, chewing on, on a guy's body and his head's uh, partway across the room. Oh, man, that just messed me up. Like, it messed me up bad. Nothing induces a spiritual awakening like a zombie chewing on another man's arm. Or neck or whatever. Yeah, whatever um, you choose. But yeah, I mean, I remember that experience gave me nightmares for months, like, like, full-on night terrors like waking up sweating and you know screaming in the night kind of stuff i was a kid who always really enjoyed that show unsolved mysteries Mm -hmm. remember seeing that with that creepy old guy narrating and similar to your experience i would wake up in the middle of the night and i lived i lived my bedroom was in the basement and my neighbor would come home and i'd see the light coming through the window and i was for sure it was some sort of alien ready to abduct me and i was terrified yeah exactly and and yeah so you know i would occasionally see that kind of thing on tv and it would just you know mess me up but regardless of that i I still kind of had this fascination with with horror you know i i couldn't help but pick up you know the the goosebumps books or the scary stories to tell in the dark from my elementary school library but when I would do that, I would not bring them home or I would, you know, keep them hidden in my, my uh, backpack. So my mom wouldn't know I had them because I didn't want to get any crap about it. Heaven forbid you read. And, and, and otherwise she definitely encouraged reading, but, but that was definitely the, the worst thing conceivable that, you know, that I would have an interest in. And, you know, these these monsters and these ghosts and these, you know, horrible things. Those devil books. Exactly. And so it wasn't until fairly late compared to a lot of kids that I even, you know, really started to see any horror movies. You know, I mentioned The Sixth Sense earlier. And, you know, I didn't see that for several years until after it came out at a friend's house. And, you know, then, you know, my when I told my mom I had seen it, you know, it was a one of those raised eyebrow kind of really you did that like i can't believe you <laughs> one of your proudest moments in her eyes oh yes yeah it was it was so great a note to the audience i've seen nathaniel's mother she has a very intense what did you do face yeah she has the ultimate mom glare but it, it wasn't until actually incidentally uh, because of something my parents did that i started to kind of get back into uh, an interest in in the horror genre um, as i got you know into later junior high and and then high school and what drew me in was actually they watched the movie the green mile on tv and that really isn't a horror film but it interested me because you know i, I just caught probably the last 20 minutes i was like oh that, that looks kind of cool what was it and they kind of gave me the basic plot rundown and then i looked it up online and saw that it was a book by stephen king and so i was like well that sounds cool and i picked it up and you know they had no problem with me reading that one 
but that unlocked this whole huge thing where I then obsessively read Stephen King. And then what he's really saying is Nathaniel found his soulmate. In, in a lot of ways, yeah, that, <laughs> that, that would be fair to say. Um, and, you know, so in the subsequent years, I have read everything by Stephen King. Um, another thing that happened was uh, my uncle, who's just a few years older than me, one year during the summer, just before the freshman year of high school, he showed me the game Resident Evil 4. So Resident Evil pushed me away from the horror genre when I was little, but when he showed it to me when I was older, it really drew me back in. I was super fascinated by it, and I thought it was fantastic. And so inevitably, after a short period of time, I acquired a copy and uh, it kept it hidden in my room and only played it uh, when my parents were not home. That's my favorite part of this story. Yeah. yeah so, of all of the things an adolescent could be rebellious about, yours was horror. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't, you know, hiding some, you know, Playboy or something. It was hiding my copy of Resident Evil 4 and Half-Life 2 and all of that. So... And now that you're talking about that, too, it reminds me a lot. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, I was pretty terrified as a child of most things. But I've always remembered my mother was always very in, you know, wanting to look into when we would go on vacation if there was a haunted hotel around or looking at any other haunted locations that she could take us to kids as kids to. And so, you know, as terrified as I was as a little guy, I also was kind of exposed to it on a routine basis and even nowadays my mother's not a huge horror movie fan but she sure loves her ghost stories so i feel like that kind of drew me in as well that curiosity of if my mom likes it and it's not that bad if she likes it why can't i like it as well so and i mean similarly for me my family doesn't have ghost stories but we do have a fair number of alien stories they live predominantly in the Uinta Basin in Utah, and there's a lot of UFO stories and, and things like that that go around, especially around uh, Skinwalker Ranch. Which will definitely be making an appearance on our podcast for oh, sure. Yeah. That place is a hotbed for any kind of horror-related activity. Yes, there's some really messed up stuff that you know I've heard from my uncles who have allegedly seen it firsthand. So, you know, I, I would hear that and, you know, it would keep me up at night and but then, as far as my writing goes, I uh, long had a have had a, an interest in writing, but you know never really thought about writing any horror. But then, just you know, I wrote a, a story that kind of had a, a Twilight Zone ending, uh, is what I called it, and that actually was the first short story that became later on my my horror novel, Dark Art. And so it was just interesting to see that you know just me kind of having little little brushes with with horror. You know, oh, I'd, I'd seen Twilight Zone stuff, and you know, some of the endings are kind of creepy, and I just want a weird kind of twist ending. Just that was enough to to start me on what ended up being, you know, a, a full-on horror novel that I later on completed. So after all this experience, Nathaniel, that you've kind of cultivated in the horror genre, what would you say is probably your one your favorite horror movie and i know that's going to be a challenge for us both uh, but you're going to have to limit it to maybe one or two and then after that do you remember a horror movie that you've seen that just really terrified you that to this day when you watch it still kind of creeps you out a little bit yeah so as far as horror movie that that scared me the most um that one's a little bit trickier to to pin down um there there are definitely I, I would say it was actually less of a horror movie, 
but there are things in in you know other genres of film that you know, have have strong horror moments that have stuck with me more than a lot of uh, scary moments in a lot of horror films because I think with with a horror film you expect it every time or you know expect them to at least try to to constantly scare you but with some other genres maybe that's a little bit less the case and so I'd say probably a movie that had things about it that that really kind of scared me um, that that still kind of get under my skin a little bit is actually uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. That's a great movie. Yeah, I I mean I adore that movie. What does this mean? Yes. I can't eat mashed potatoes the same way. Yeah, and I mean yeah, I I always make that corny joke whenever I eat mashed potatoes too, and and it's it's great because you know just just those kind of early brushes with with the UFOs because as I just mentioned, you know, there's a lot of UFO kind of stories in my family. When I watched those scenes, it really just got under my skin. And, and because, you know, at that point, they don't know that the aliens are peaceful and that they're, you know, intending to, to just try to communicate and trying to have a, have a positive interaction with the people of Earth. When when there's those initial brushes, it's it's scary. It's, you know, just confusing. You know, the, the guy gets you know, half of his face sunburned because of the alien craft flying by. And those kind of, like, little moments really terrified me well and it's you know it's directed by one of the greatest directors that we we have yeah i mean spielberg is a genius i felt like those moments of just kind of disorientation really scared me and and you know when i still watch that film it still gets me every time now going to my favorite horror film i have to mention two i knew you would and it's because i'm i'm just so divided between them I love them so much for different reasons, and whenever I watch one, it becomes my new favorite again. And So it keeps going back and forth between Alien and Silence of the Lambs. And let's make a note for the audience, the first time I saw Alien was probably two days ago. Yeah, I'm sorry. I will, I will fully apologize over this podcast that I have waited this long to see that incredible movie. I was as much watching the film as watching Max watch the film, so... I, I just love Alien because it's such a strong storytelling piece, and it's such a strong example of monster design and puppetry and also just simply, like, strong character. You know, it has a strong character arc, especially with Ellen Ripley. Um, and so I love that. And then I also really love Silence of the Lambs, as I mentioned, because... Because who doesn't love Silence of the Lambs? Yeah, it's a amazing film that's just you know so wonderfully constructed and, and i i feel like there's a definitely a reason that it swept the awards that year absolutely um i mean anthony hopkins is a genius yeah and and his you know very brief screen time as hannibal lecter definitely warranted you know him winning best actor that year because it was just his every mannerism every breath he took was hannibal lecter's and so you know, Hannibal is such a strong character, and, uh, you know, Clarice is such a wonderful character. And Jodie Foster was so amazing in that film, and, and you know, also, you know, props to uh, the actor whose name I don't know, for uh, to my shame, uh, who played, you know, Buffalo Bill, you know, James Gum. I hadn't seen Alien, you don't know who the actor is who plays Buffalo Bill, or even. Yeah, that's that's clearly the... On, on equal footing. So I absolutely adore both of those movies, um, and I could watch them over and over and over again, and, and every time I just get more and more out of them. Awesome, awesome. Okay, so I guess let me 
pitch that back at you then you know what are what are your favorite examples of the horror genre in in film i hate this question that's why i always ask it to other people because i don't like answering it myself um i guess we should let the audience know that i barely got into the horror scene a few years ago and so a lot of my favorites are pretty new in comparison uh, but that doesn't make them less less good most of them are less good, but not all of them. I love a lot of modern horror films. Um, but one that comes to mind that still to this day just sticks to me and kind of creeps me out is the remaster, not the remaster, I guess, the remake of The Evil Dead. Um, I mean, for me, the more demonic, the more possessions are in the movie, the more I like it. And I don't know, this one just really got under my skin. It was the, the kind of horror that after you finish watching the movie, you check in the backseat of your car and make sure all your doors are locked and just kind of have that unsettling feeling, you know? Yeah, it was definitely very unsettling. That part where she cuts her tongue with a razor blade, just <laughs> thinking about it makes makes me want to throw up. But I will not throw up for the sake of the audience. Well, well we appreciate it just for our own uh, auditory I mean, this is safety. a horror podcast, so would that be would that be okay? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure a lot of our audience has seen The Exorcist, so I was gonna say I'll have to wait for the throw up noises until we get to that that episode. Probably my favorite horror movie though currently um, is a piece called As Above, So Below. Uh, and you know it's not the greatest movie ever made some of the acting is pretty subpar the the writing the script isn't the best but i just really fell in love with the story um, as mentioned i'm very very much a fan of the occult i love to study it i love learning about it and i felt like that movie kind of really pulled it in in a very applicable way with the catacombs of paris but it also kind of had this idea of hell and descending into it and really kind of played with your senses and i i don't know what it was about it but i really was pulled towards that movie and kind of how how it presented itself as a horror film that at the end you weren't really sure what was going on until the very very last minute and even then it's still up for speculation i feel like yeah i definitely enjoyed that film as well um maybe not quite as passionately as you but i, I definitely did enjoy it going back to the the idea of you know horror films that stuck with me i do have an anecdote that i wanted to share because it's one of my favorites about any horror movie does it have to do with throw up because i feel like we probably lost three audience listeners already you think we have three audience listeners (laughs) i would be very happy if we had three okay awesome it's Um, probably your wife and my mother so yeah one more well to anyone who is not my wife or max's mother we thank you for listening to us. I'm just going to take a moment to say that. But um, no, it, it was actually about uh, the film The Exorcism of Emily Rose. That's a great movie. Great movie. Yeah, definitely. I'd say one of the strongest examples of, of really good PG-13 horror. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it tackles the whole idea of demonic possession in an incredible way that doesn't make it, you know, throwing up. There we go again. Throwing up pea soup and twisting your head around. Yeah, yeah, definitely wasn't trying to be the exorcist again like so many other uh, absolutely possession films are. One of the things about that movie is that it has a strong plot element about the witching hour. You know, that's that's when, you know, the possession of Emily Rose, you know, was supposed to happen. That's that's when like a lot of the scariest moments happen. Fun fact, you know why it's called the witching hour? This is my little plug for the occult. Go ahead. 
so it's supposed to be the 12 hour opposite of when Christ was crucified. So he was crucified at 3 p.m., so they say, and so 3 a.m. is when the devil can run amok. So anyway, again, shameless plug for Max. Well, that's why we have you on the podcast. <laughs> Fun fact. So in in that movie, there's you know several scenes where a character, um, be it Emily Rose or the priest or you know, someone else, will wake up in the middle of the night and they look at their alarm clock and it's 2.59 and then it goes to 3. And we've all been there after watching that movie. Well, I was there after watching that That's movie. That's right. I've heard this I watched this. <laughs> yeah, I watched the movie by myself foolishly on my laptop and then it's like oh man that was a good movie and then i go to sleep didn't think that much of it and then at 2:59, i woke up i looked at my alarm clock and it went to three and i didn't sleep after that makes sense and that still is just an experience that really sticks with me uh, to this day so it didn't necessarily scare the crap out of me while i was watching it but retroactively oh man that messed me up that night and for the next couple of nights honestly so now all of our listeners are going to wake up at 259 tonight and just not be able to go to sleep again we're not on a good running streak of obtaining listeners or maybe if they're you know into cool horror stuff like that then cementing them for as fans for life so everyone listening, please wake up during the witching hour and look for supernatural activity tonight. Yes, but nothing too too crazy. I don't want you to like get thrown around by some demon or something. And we also don't want a lawsuit. So yes, we are not responsible for any <laughs> any supernatural activity that occurs from here on out. Yes. So let's kind of get into the big bulk of what we are looking at today in this episode. Um, we just got back, literally just got back, from the new rendition of It. And It it was pretty great, if, I, if you ask me. But Nathaniel over here, like he's mentioned, is a literary guy. And so, of course, he's read the book that was penned by his soulmate, Stephen King. So, get ready for some fun facts, everyone, with Nathaniel. Yes. I guess for starters, I'm going to talk about the movie and then kind of transition into the book. Plot twist. Yes. So because I I feel like in context, it it may work a little bit better that way. Is it going to be one of those rare rare moments where the movie is better than the book? I would make the argument of yes. Oh, we're going to tick some people off. Yes, I'm sure I will. And that's what I'm here to do. Make people angry and and don't hesitate to uh, to get on the Internet and tell me I'm wrong. That's exactly what we want, people to get on the internet and tell Nathaniel he's wrong. It would help his ginormous head. Yeah, it, it would. And if nothing else, it'll you know probably get me some more Twitter mentions. and <laughs> Shameless plug for Twitter. <laughs> so, I really liked the film It. Well, are you talking about the new film It or the old film It? I guess we should make that clear before we I'm going to refer to in. the old one as the miniseries because it technically was a two-part miniseries. Very true. And it will make it easier to differentiate. So the film It that came out yesterday, <laughs> I really enjoyed. As did I, for the record. And I feel like the reason it worked so well is that it stuck with the better part of the book. The Losers Club, I feel like, is the best section of the book. Which I feel like we need to make shirts. 
Like, can we make shirts that say loser club? I feel like that's a pretty cool club to be involved in. Yes. I, Aside for the homicidal, you know, clown that follows them around. I would be down with making losers club t-shirts. Can we make like a hashtag losers club for our Twitter? Sure. Shameless plug for Twitter. And and hopefully Stephen King won't, you know, sue us over his creation, I guess. Well, crap. Maybe maybe not hashtag losers club. Or instead of crap, I should say gray water. Yeah, that, that's a good way to phrase it. <laughs> Um, so the film really worked because it stuck yeah, with the, the strongest part of the story. Now, as we learned at the uh, just before the credits, that was officially it, chapter one. So we're going to get the other half of the story probably within a year or something like that. And I guess we should probably mention right now before we get too involved with this is that there will be spoilers. Oh, it's going to be spoilerific. If you have virgin ears and would not want to hear the voluptuous tales of spoilers, then you should probably stop listening. There goes our other listener. Yeah. Um, yeah, let's let's just get that up front. Whenever we're going to talk about any movie, we're going to discuss the plot at some length. Or book, or TV show, or anything. We're going to dig in. Now, if you haven't seen it and really want to and don't want things spoiled, just hold off on listening to the episode until you've done it and then come back and listen and then you know get online and tell us how right or wrong we are because you know it's it's fun to to get feedback and i'm never wrong so let's go as i was saying this movie stuck you know with with the losers club when the kids are kids instead of the half of the story in the book where we're dealing with them coming back and dealing with it again as adults and so i really like that half of the story and i feel like the characters are much more well developed during that section of the story and much more consistent uh, than they are uh, later on in the book especially the scares are also a lot more riveting to me because you get to see kind of how hopeless and and helpless these kids are and and so when they triumph it, it seems to be a bigger deal to me i agree yeah that's the, the scare felt a little bit more visceral, I think, if that's a good adjective to use to describe it. Absolutely. And, you know, and so we're dealing with, you know, each one's, you know, individual fears. Those fears, you know, some of them are, are kind of overall a little bit more trivial, you know. They, they I'm terrified of spiders, and that's not trivial. Well, but but to be fair, though, you know, we I mean, we, we can have those kind of fears, but, but ultimately the things that are going to keep you up at night isn't you know, a fear of spiders, it's going to be a fear of, you know, losing loved ones or something along those lines. I don't know. Have you ever tried to kill a spider and miss and then it disappears? Unfortunately, yes. Yeah, terrifying. Okay, well, that maybe that would be a bad example, but at I least... I get what you're saying, though, for sure. And and so, I mean, I, I really like that, you know, with, with the adults, you know, we, we still see some, you know, interesting scare moments in the book, but... Ultimately, like, it's just not the same kind of things that they're afraid of or, or that they should be afraid of necessarily, you know, when when um, but but, you know, when we're dealing with children, I feel like we can as as viewers or readers really relate with the children because, you know, we have had times where, you know, the scariest thing to us was, you know, was it was a clown or, you know, was something, you know, a weird painting in, in our dad's office or something like that. Well, and I think that's kind of insightful and it kind of leads into the bigger picture of this story is that when we are kids, we're almost hyper-focused on these fears that don't really make a lot of sense in reality. And as we kind of grow older, we start to develop these deeper, darker fears. At the same time, though, we've conquered those other fears, hopefully. And so it really 
kind of shows this eternal aspect of fear that you know fear is going to exist when we're kids and even though it might not be the same it might be deeper darker heavier however you want to describe it when we're adults and so really we can never get away from pennywise the clown yes and so i mean i feel like that is one of the great things about it in general is that you know there is this you know always something to be afraid of and and to be fair you know with what i was saying about you know a lot of the kind of more trivial fears of of the children not all of them are that way by any means i mean you know we have for example beverly her fear is her father who you know is very rapey yeah for lack of a better term yes rapey <laughs> yes um and so also known as child predatory and just gross yeah yeah i mean you know any scene with him just you know gave me the Ghiblies. Uh, again, a technical term from the horror world. Yes, yes. Ghiblies. Very technical. So I feel like, you know, a lot of the strongest scares are present in the kids section of the book. And so I really like that the adaptation really just focused in and didn't, you know, have to go back and forth like it does in the book. So what, in your opinion, then, with this new movie was the scariest moment for you? It's hard to say. Definitely, you know, a lot of the moments with with Beverly's dad were very scary because because her I guess her biggest monster uh, in in her life was not Pennywise the clown or it or whatever you know you wanted to to call that being. It was her father, and so I, I really like that we're able to see her become a you know a very powerful person because she learned how to face that fear and then had much less difficulty facing the supernatural creature. And so I feel like those moments of terror really paid off in a strong character moment. But there was definitely some really great moments of, of scares with Pennywise or its you know assorted incarnations. I, I especially enjoyed, for example, the scene when, when they first fight it in the house, and it's just you know kind of taking them out one by one and, and playing with them. You know, so, you know, there's the clown room and there's the, you know, broken arm with uh, Eddie, I think. Eddie. Yes, yeah, Eddie. I it's Eddie. If not, we're wrong. We just saw this movie two hours ago. We're pathetic. Yeah, I <laughs> I, I usually have a pretty good ability to, to remember characters' names, but I apparently can't even talk properly right now, so. You're worthless. I just need to start this podcast by myself. Yeah, that would probably be better for listening. <laughs> words so i i really you know enjoyed those scary moments but yeah what what i really liked about the film over the book is that it did not have a lot of the things about the book that really bother me um, that really upset me as a reader and i'm just gonna say this up front like the the reasons that these things upset me you know before i go into them in detail is because I felt like it had really the potential to be one of Stephen King's very best books. And I feel like these flaws are just so deep and problematic. You might need to apologize to your soulmate before you continue. I'm sorry, Stephen King, but it is really not one of your best books. And it really should have been. And a lot of people, you know, really consider it to be one of his strongest books. And I, and I have to very vehemently disagree. And so I'm going to go into the reasons why. And so, I mean, I, I can't say what, what is going to be in the, you know, second It film, you know, It Chapter 2 or whatever the heck they want to call it when they're dealing with the adult story. But there were some definitely big problems that I saw as a reader just in the adult story. I felt like the characters were really inconsistent. One example of that is that Bill, when he is an adult, 
you see him have a really strong marriage with with the actress uh, Audra. I remember her name is Audra. I can remember her name, but apparently not Eddie's necessarily. But so that relationship, I actually really enjoyed reading. But then, you know, as soon as he comes to Derry, there is a, an affair scene with, with Bev. And it's just kind of like, okay, like, I, I, I just felt like it was really uh, inconsistent. You know, does he have a really good relationship with his wife? Or does he not? Clearly not. He's hooking up with Bev exactly. in the library. And, and then, you know, shortly after that, or, or I guess, you know, at the, at the end of that arc, you know, it's it's about, you know, trying to bring Audra back because she, you know, comes and then gets uh, abducted by Pennywise. And, you know, there's the, the, the whole arc with that. But, you know, basically she's catatonic. And so, like, you know, he's very upset and, you know, wants her to to come back and so there's the scene where he you know puts her on his bike and that's what kind of brings her back Hi-ho, exactly and so that scene could have been powerful but i kind of just didn't buy it because i mean he just like straight up just dropped everything and, and cheated and then you know there, there wasn't any build up to him and beverly hooking up it was just kind of like oh hey like hey hey and then they were naked and you know going at it but to give him some credit, it was Beverly. Yeah, but I mean, I am of the opinion that it should be Ben and Beverly forever, not Bill and Beverly. Okay, we'll get, we're going to get to that in a little bit. Yes, I, I, I noticed that you were upset about that in the movie as well. <sighs> so that was definitely a problem. I also felt like another really big problem in the adult section of the book that was thankfully not present in this film was that when we were dealing with Beverly's relationship with her husband... You know, which was a very strong parallel to her relationship with her father. Um, you know, it, it had a very strong, you know, like there was several scenes of sexual assault. And it, I felt like those scenes were written in a way that they were trying to be sexy. And I think that's really a big problem. I mean, I, I just don't think that there's really any reason to write a sexual assault or rape scene as anything other than just horrifying and awful well and especially in the atmosphere that is it talking about these deep-setted fears and you know these things that stick with us and keep us up at night i feel like you know sexual assault and rape is probably if not one of the highest things people who have experienced that you know fear and why are we going to stylize it in a way that looks cool or sexy or you know things that would would elicit good thoughts, I guess. I don't know. I feel like I fell apart right there. But, but I mean, I definitely see what you're saying because, I mean, and especially you know, if you look at her character arc when she was a child versus when she's an adult, you know, you see that that was, you know, seeded throughout her childhood with her father. And so it just makes the inclusion of those scenes as almost like something to get your rocks off, just something wrong. It kind of belittles her character growth as well, that she, you know, was able to overcome her father, but then all of a sudden is just back in the same situation. And, I mean, that that does factor into the plot in an interesting way because, I mean, for for the most part, they forget. Um, they forget about the whole experience until they get the phone call saying, hey, it's back. So, I mean, it, it would make sense that that would be something that she might have to deal with again. And, and I'm fine with that idea. But the problem I have, more than anything, is just that as a writer, Stephen King decided, hey... Let me make this a scene that, you know, people are going to get all steamy under the collar over as opposed to, you know, seeing it as something awful and horrifying. Absolutely. I agree with that sentiment for sure. 
you know, I asked you about what you thought the scariest point of the film was, this new film. And I'd have to agree with you. Really, the interactions on screen between Beverly and her father were just absolutely spine-tingling, for lack of a better word. It was just terrible. And I've got to give a shout-out to Sophia Lillis. She is the actress that played Beverly Marsh in the show. She was incredible. Yeah, she was phenomenal. If you need to see this movie for any other reason other than because it's a good movie, go for the acting. These kids that they got were just phenomenal. And I think especially her, just, it was incredible. I really have no words. Yeah, she really hit it out of the park. And then I feel like also, you know, in addition to the kid actors, uh, Bill Skarsgård as Pennywise was very, very good. Oh, absolutely. He was incredible. Incredible. And something that I really enjoyed, too, was the the variety of how Pennywise kind of interacted with the kids. You know, it itself is not the clown, but that's what everyone associates with it. And they definitely played to that trope. They give him quite a bit of screen time, which I was very happy for. And again, it, it is it. So if he didn't get screen time, there'd be a problem. But you know what I'm what I'm saying. Absolutely, but I also like that it took the time to show these other fears. You know, the oh, the, absolutely, the painting lady, the leper, the 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 whole clown room. You know, all of those things were shown in addition to seeing Pennywise, and and you know they usually work Pennywise into those scenes as well. But I really like that it actually took the time to make it not just be the clown, and that was definitely one of the big problems in the original miniseries was that there was very few moments I felt that that it was not, you know, Tim Curry also knocking it out of the park, I, I will yeah, say. Yeah, I mean, Tim Curry as Pennywise will forever be scarred in my brain as I go to sleep or if I look into any rain gutter on the street. For sure. But other than him being the, you know, kind of spidery thing at the end of the film, like, right. there just really wasn't much else to the incarnations of it in that. And so I felt like that was really lacking. And so that was something I really enjoyed seeing. Absolutely. Um, Same. I would have really liked to have seen the werewolf that is in the book, because uh, Richie, if I remember correctly, um, is scared of werewolves, not clowns in the book. And so they end up fighting a werewolf in the house as opposed to, you know, having the clown room scene. And I really, really like that scene in the book. And so I felt a little sad that that wasn't present, but I mean, that's really kind of straining at Nats. But, but yeah, let me talk about, though, the biggest thing that I really have a problem with in the book that was comes, not everybody. present in the movie. And Can I call this the Nathaniel Bomb? Well, I mean, honestly, once I tell you what it is, I think you'll wholeheartedly agree. At the very end of the losers club section you know the kids have defeated it they leave the sewers and then you know they make the promise to uh, return if it is still alive but instead of holding hands after cutting their hands like they do in the film um, the way that they have their moment of kind of unifying with each other is a child gang bang right stephen king what's going on dude we need to have some serious chat. Yeah, that's super not okay. Yeah, that's kind of that's kind of weird. That's kind of pushing it. Yeah, I'd say way way beyond pushing it. Um, I have heard Game of Thronesy. Yeah, but I mean, ugh, just it's distasteful. 
the inclusion of that in the book just really like when that scene came up i was like oh and i don't know if i want to keep reading Stephen king um i mean i eventually you know picked it back up but i mean it really turned me off to anything that he wrote for a good while because it was just so wrong it'd be interesting to know or to understand why he included it just to kind of see his mind from from what i understand that kind of idea was is that you know like they it was supposed to be like symbolic of their innocence being like like basically that that like they they were moving on to from you know being innocent to being you know adults now so why can't they just pay power bills instead of having a childhood orgy yeah that's it's just it's wrong it's upsetting and and i've heard claims i don't know if this is true or not uh, that you know in some interviews that he's kind of said that he, he regrets including that but my thought is then maybe have a new edition that does not include that because it's just is definitely the most problematic thing in any Stephen King book that I can think of and, and there's definitely some problematic stuff you know especially with uh, his approach to uh, race at, at times yeah I kind of got that feel through this new movie it almost felt like the african-american character mike um but it kind of felt like he was a a leftover thought that there was a lot of plot development with these children and then all of a sudden there's this new kid out of the blue who has some tragic story that we didn't really get into at all yeah and i think that's really unfortunate because he was actually one of the strongest characters in the book i felt um he does kind of feel tacked on as as a member of the group but his story arc was a lot stronger when the you know when when their part uh, of the story was placed back in the 60s because you know then you know it's yeah i guess that makes sense yeah different time eras yeah and so you know his his interest in history which is then shown in the film uh, as being ben's interest in history uh, a lot of that comes from you know being black uh, and so i actually really like him as a character and i'd say he's one of the strongest black characters in stephen king um, and, and he definitely doesn't fall into a lot of the magic Negro trope, um, that, uh, and that's you know the official term for the trope, that, that you see in some of his other stuff, like The Stand, for example. And so I really like him as a character, and they definitely, that is probably my biggest qualm with, with the film, is that they really just, they took one of his strongest attributes, his interest in history, and gave it to another character, and then kind of just flattened him out. He, he was kind of just there. Right, right. I kind of got the same feeling. Um, so we talked about kind of the scariest part of the film, which was very heavily focused on Beverly's interactions with her father. Um, but to talk about like our favorite parts, um, not maybe so much that was scary, but stuff that just really kind of wowed us, I guess you could say. For me, um, the scene, kind of the iconic scene when Beverly's in the bathroom and, you know, it's kind of coming through to her through the sink. This new movie, I thought, did an incredible job at this twisting hair creature that's coming out of the sink, wrapping around her, you know, suffocating her. And then all of a sudden, there's just this massive atom bomb of blood that comes out of the sink. And just the cinema... The cinematography of it was just really awesome. Just seeing this huge splurge of blood, it was just, it was beautiful. That's the only word I could really think of. Yeah, and I, I love that scene. And honestly, like, it might be a better Buckets of Blood kind of scene than, you know, even the, you know, elevator blood scene in The Shining. Or even the pig blood from Carrie. Yeah, I mean, I just felt like when that happened in the film, it was very powerful and affecting and so i really really like that scene as well 
And I also really enjoyed how her father came in and, you know, throughout the course of the movie, these kids were seeing these, you know, illusions, for lack of a better term, of their worst fears. And in this new movie, her father comes in and he's like, what's going on? Nothing's the matter. And the room, I thought it was a great decision on the director to keep the room just bloodied and how Beverly was still just covered in blood. And so it was it kind of showed that just juxtaposition of how it was so real to her but then her father was just he had no idea what was going on. And and that was definitely one of the best scenes in the book as well. Um, but yeah, I I love that scene. So I'd say that scene, and then also just you know the what going, once again going back to you know their initial going into the the creepy old house. Those two scenes were really just the strongest for me. Some of the strongest character moments, and yeah, both of those really heavily featured Beverly. You know being very competent by far uh, especially you know, in this film adaptation she was my favorite character absolutely same here um i do have to put a plug in for ben because ben is everything i want to be in life as well as eddie eddie was me as a child it was wonderful to see <laughs> the intense hypochondriac yeah absolutely he was terrified of everything with good reason he was great i loved i loved just the different character dynamics that kind of all came together and really I don't know, just blended very, very well. Everyone had their strengths and their weaknesses, and they merged it all very, very well. Agreed. And and also just, you know, I mean, all of the kids were fantastic, but I also just really enjoyed seeing, um, I'm looking at his name now, Finn Wolfhard, uh, who played Richie. Um, because, you know, I, I had, of course, seen him in Stranger Things, which is fantastic. Stranger Things, October 30, is it the 31st? Do you remember when I, I don't remember, but I'm excited about it. Uh, yeah, who isn't excited? But yeah, so it was really cool to see him play a very different character. It's it's fun to see range, you know, and really in any actor, but, you know, especially with an actor that young, you know, see his talent just really, I mean, he, he, he knocked out of the park in, in both things I've seen him in, so. Absolutely. Let's talk about things we didn't like about the movie. Maybe kind of go into the nitty gritty a bit. The CGI was sometimes really good, and other times it kind of, looks a bit cheesy i agree um you know pennywise the clown was just incredibly fantastic but there were some parts for me especially with kind of the the painting um in the office that one was kind of a little bit weird to me and so was the leper for for eddie it just kind of seemed the leper looked really cheesy yeah like it, it wasn't the best well, and I wouldn't know that it was a leper until, you know, they mentioned that in the movie. I had just thought it was kind of this weird, gross zombie that was freaking him out because he was afraid of germs. Yeah, and, and like, I like the idea of him, you know, being afraid of a leper, but yeah, it just, it didn't say leprosy to me. It just said, like, swollen and gross and kind of a bad, like, yeah, like a really bad B-movie zombie is, is what it looked like. Another thing that kind of bugged me, and this is a little bit trivial, but were the eyes on Pennywise. Um, sometimes it would look like he had a lazy eye or something was going on. And I, I understand from a horror standpoint, they kind of wanted to make it unnatural and kind of creepy. But I thought the real terrifying thing were his just evil eyes. And I wanted to look at them directly and not like, hmm, what eye do I look at in this scene, you know? Just, just pick one, just pick one. <laughs> pick one of the eyes, left or right, left or right. I don't know, it just kind of felt disjointed for what Pennywise is and and the terrifying capabilities he is. I mean, I thought, I don't know, it just kind of felt disjointed to his character. 
And and I actually would have liked if they had maybe played with that more. I I liked the eyes in some of the scenes, like when he's being more playful, um, you know, like when he's talking at right. the beginning to Georgie. Right. I actually really liked it in that scene. Um, so so I thought you know maybe you know when he's you know a full on you know rage terror chasing them around mode, yeah, lose the lazy eye. But then you know when he's you know trying to laugh and be silly. Yeah, have have the lazy eye thing going on because I thought that was potentially really cool, um, but it ended up feeling a little bit inconsistent. Yeah, I at, definitely at agree with that. And probably the biggest issue I have with this stinking movie, I'm sure you already know about it, but was Ben, Ben and Beverly, match made in heaven. They were deeply in love. <sighs> yeah, that that that's something that's bothered me in the book. I, I mean, just felt there yeah, was I so definitely... much character development with between Bev. And Ben, he was kind of, you know, the new kid on the block, pun intended, Um, you know, the bigger kid. And it was this moment of, oh, they're going to do this awesome thing in this movie about how body size doesn't matter and individuality is what is really important. And the hot girl Bev is going to fall in love with kind of the pudgy little guy. And it's going to be awesome and it's going to be great. I I I definitely agree and i feel like that was something that yeah i wanted in every incarnation of of it because you know that they they really do seem to have like a, a really good connection and friendship and and i really like that you know they don't really care about each other's flaws and so i thought that that was such a cool opportunity and definitely especially you know as as children feels like it's it's very missed just because you know bill is is the the leader of the gang so he gets the vote yeah, so and ben was the one whose kiss saved the day and then he's just an afterthought now. yeah that was yeah. frustrating to say the least I was very upset with beverly her and i need to have a very long chat about her choice in men well men in boys i guess i don't know this is side railing quickly hurry pull it back in really kind of my ultimate thoughts though just about about the film in general though is just that it, it was a, a very good adaptation i feel like it really dug into the best veins of the story and, and really dug into the a lot of the best characters and and a lot of the best character moments and so i i really enjoyed the film and definitely recommend it to anyone who has has an interest in in it and i and yeah i i will say that it is my favorite it related thing it's really hard to talk about it without saying it a, a thousand times. Well, and I think it's a great horror movie in itself. If you enjoy horror and you love, you know, kind of that feeling you get, I think it does a very good job. Um, whether it's in the theater, whether you rent it and just watch it in your house, the scares were very well thought out and very articulate in, in how it approached the themes. Yes. I mean, I, I didn't feel like there were very many scenes that like really got under my skin. But it was still a strong story, and and the scares were, you know, even though I didn't necessarily like recoil in horror, I still definitely felt my pulse start racing a little bit when during some of the more intense scenes. So, definitely recommend it. Absolutely, um, you know, I think a good idea of if a movie is good or not is if you know you would buy it after the movie comes out. Um, and whether that be digitally or physically, but it's definitely one that I'm going to be having in my house. I think it's a great, a great horror film that I would enjoy watching more than once. Absolutely. I, I, I would definitely watch it again. Another refreshing thing about it too, was there was humor involved. There was a lot of opportunities for these imperfect children to kind of show their quirkiness and their 
their diversity in funny and humorous ways. And so it, it kept you in kind of how the Avengers movies, you know, are, are a little bit quirky and funny to keep your interest. And then when things get serious, things get serious. Agreed. And, and, and I like that each character also really kind of stood up on their own. There were a few characters, you know, we mentioned Mike earlier as, as having been, you know, rather flattened in a lot of ways. Um, and then also uh, Stan, who I don't think we've even brought up at any point in this podcast. Was Stan the... Uh, he's the Jewish kid. Oh, that's right. Yeah, his acting was probably the weakest out of the kids, I thought. Agreed. Um, but I think that may have been in large part just because he was given the less or the least amount of opportunity to really Absolutely. do anything. Yeah, the, yeah, those two characters really just got flattened out, unfortunately. But um, the remainder of the characters, you know, Richie and bill and ben and beverly and eddie you know those were all really strong characters and and they each had their own you know strong personality and and that's something that's kind of hard to find really in any form of fiction characters that that really just kind of live and breathe like those ones did well and especially in horror too we have so many horror movies where the characters are just idiots or stupid and they just do whatever they want and you know you're sitting behind the screen screaming at them to you know don't go in the shed don't go alone and i felt like these kids really didn't follow that horror trope which was refreshing to see yes it you know considering it's it's such an iconic story it it really did a good job of avoiding many tropes and really just was a strong piece in general you know none of the characters were any real archetypes in it you know each one really kind of broke the mold in different ways and so i really like that well is there anything else we want to discuss about the movie um i think that really covers it for me should we wrap it up it's almost the witching hour yeah let's let's wrap this up so i guess a few housekeeping items you should definitely follow us on twitter as we keep hinting at shameless twitter plug um so the podcast Twitter is at, or at Scream Kings Pod. Uh, then I also have uh, Twitter individually, uh, NJ Darkish. And we'd also like to let the audience know that we would like to get your feedback. If you have movies you think would be fun for us to review that are horror-themed, well, we'd love to take a look at those. If you have any spooky stories or urban legends that you're aware of or that have, you've experienced directly, please reach out to our social media. We'd love to kind of make a segment on this podcast featuring you guys as well yes and and definitely probably the best way to to send any large piece of information to share a story or, or something along the lines would be our uh, email account uh, which is screenkingspodcast at gmail.com and uh, finally also you know you can uh, reach out with uh, to us on facebook screen kings podcast uh, just you know put that in the search bar and we'll pop up we we would very much enjoy uh, interacting with you guys um and you know you mentioned movies but we're also going to talk about yeah as he said you know urban legends um and that's going to be definitely a, a large feature on our uh, podcast and also you know books and tv shows and video games you know we're we're really digging into to horror you know constantly in, in every sort of media and are excited to you know discuss that with you guys and to have episodes of the podcast about those things some other housekeeping items. Definitely want to thank um, a few people, specifically McCall Soucis of Red Panda Designs, uh, who designed our wonderful logo. Uh, you should definitely check her art out. She's incredible. Let's be honest. She's pretty freaking rad. And and it would be uh, probably the best way to, to check her stuff out is actually to follow her on Twitch. 
She does some you know live art streaming and also will play some video games. And then also just thanks to uh, the musician uh, who created our wonderful intro and outro music. Uh, name is Simon Mathewson, and the song is called Apex. But I think for now, that's all that we have for our pilot episode. Stay tuned. We're hoping to maybe crank two or three of these episodes out each month, and we would love to have your interaction, as we said before. Yep. So thank you so much, and float on. <laughs>